Today, I'm going to do two things. Everybody say two things. Um, I, I want to continue our series that we've been walking on through where we're talking about what it means to really walk with God, what it means to, to abide, to journey with Jesus in our everyday. And we've been using Jesus' phrases to us, some declarations to us about who he is. Every time in the Bible, not every time, but a lot of the times we've been going through the scripture. And when Jesus said, I am, we've been looking at those passages. So we've been saying, okay, I, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. What does that mean? Jesus said, I am the vine. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. We're going to continue on in that series uh, but I'm also going to speak to the times that we're in. Um, I, I feel a, a, a real sense just from the Holy Spirit that the significance of this message is not just because this is, this is not goodbye, this is see you later. Um, but I, I do want you to uh, understand the importance of what's happening in culture. And I want you to understand our part in it as a church. And so I'm going to speak a little bit prophetically this morning. Um, and so if you didn't know you were signing up for that, we are a charismatic church. Can I get an amen? amen. Um, and, and so we're going to start with John 11, verse 25. John 11, verse 25. This is Jesus's statement to us, another I am statement. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then Jesus asks us a question, do you believe this? Do you believe this? I am, Jesus says, the resurrection and life the life. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you'd open our eyes and hearts and minds and ears to be able to see, hear, and understand what you're doing. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you that it has what we need. Thank you, Lord, that you have provided for us everything. Lord, we submit to you and we say, God, would you come and have your way with us? In Jesus' name, everybody shouted. Amen. Um, when I kind of looked at the calendar, it's one of those things where you guys might think that we're way more organized than we are because I was like, wow, there's no better message to leave you guys with than talking about Jesus as the resurrection and the life. Man, I love him. The entirety of the Gospel of John is this message. Really, the entirety of the gospel, the entirety of the Bible is this truth being reiterated over and over again that our God makes dead things come to life. He's a resurrector. Jesus is the resurrection. And Jesus makes this statement in the middle of maybe one of the most famous moments in his ministry on the earth. It's when he raised Lazarus from the dead. This is a Sunday school classic. So even if you've just flirted with church, you've probably heard this story at some point. 
because it's so infamous. And the reason it is is because it was a very clear declaration of who Jesus is and why he was on the earth. Uh, No question for those who were watching this happen in front of them in John 11, this would have been a Messiah-confirming moment. If you were on the fence about, man, okay, this guy's saying he's the son of God, I don't know what I think about it, you watch Lazarus walk through the stench of his own death out of the grave and stand in front of you, I think I would have crossed over into belief. When you roll back the stone, you smell the death. Lazarus was really dead. Like like four days in dead, stinky, smelly, dead. And Jesus stood in the stench of his death and he said, Lazarus, come out. And with those words that Jesus spoke, life replaced death. This defines who Jesus is. This defines what he does. Jesus is a funeral interrupter. He interrupts dead things and he brings them back to life. Jesus, when he actually heard that his friend Lazarus was sick, he said something very interesting in John 11 verse 4. He said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. It's not gonna end in death. This is for God's glory so that his son may be glorified through it. This is not really what I'm preaching about, but it's too good to just skim over. I want you to say, my life is a picture. Your life is a picture. God's telling a story in and through your life. And it's a story of his glory. It's a story of his power, his provision, and his grace. And that story is read by those who are around us. My dad used to say something to us. My dad was famous for one-liners still to this day. Like I was with him yesterday and he just fires these things off that don't, the timing is not right really. You know, but there's some wisdom in it so you can't ignore it. And as we were leaving for school, like I, I don't, you know, very few days I remember where he was there where he wouldn't tell us, hey boys, we grew up in family of all boys. Don't forget, you could be the only Bible your friends read today. And as a teenager, I'm like, uh, okay, Dad, thanks, Dad, you know. But as I've gotten older, I'm like, I think he was onto something. Because people are not impressed by what we say we believe. They're impressed and impacted by what we believe, changing how we respond. You can tell somebody that you believe in something, and that doesn't often do much. But when they see your life, Your life has a different fragrance about it. Your life has a different flow about it. Your heart has a different lean about it. That story of God's glory, his power, his grace, and his provision 
is read by those around us. God's doing something in you that will impact those around you. It's what's so cool about Jesus is that he brings transformation to us and then he uses our freedom to spark transformation in those around us. He's the resurrection and the life. When he started his ministry on the earth, Jesus read Isaiah 61. One of those sovereign timing things, he stands up to read in the temple. The reading for the day was Isaiah 61. It was written about him thousands of years before he was born. And it is a declaration of transformation. And this is what it says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord. Imagine Jesus reading this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes and the oil of joy instead of mourning and the garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. One of my favorite worship songs has this lyric that says, when, you, when he walks into the room, everything changes. This is our God, the resurrection and life. He resurrects things. He turns things around. He turns our mourning into dancing. He turns our captivity into freedom. He turns our poverty into favor. He turns our ashes into beauty. He turns our hopelessness into worship. And what Lazarus experienced in John 11 is he turns our death into life. Lazarus' resurrection would have been a defining moment in the faith of those who were there to see it because what God is doing in you will always have an effect on those around you. And what God did in Lazarus had an effect on everyone who was there, I mean, I don't think you can unsee a dead man walking out of a tomb. I, I, don't, I, I think that's going to stick with you. I think the power and the supremacy of God was on display when Lazarus, after being dead for four days, walked through the stench of his own death out of the grave. Can you imagine the side conversations like, yo, bro, didn't you put him in there? Are you sure he was dead? Yeah, he was dead. Are you seeing this? Yeah, I'm seeing it. Is this really him? Bro, it looks like him. Are you sure he was dead when you put him in there? Oh, yeah, dude, he was dead when we put him in there. The, just the, the confusion, the chaos, the bewilderment, the joy, the awe, all happening at the same time as someone who was dead is now alive. Jesus used the death and resurrection of Lazarus, just like he did every miracle that he performed on the earth to be a picture of the glory of God, to be a picture of the kingdom of heaven, to be a picture of heaven's authority over all things that are in and on the earth. And God the Father used Lazarus' resurrection as a foreshadowing of what was gonna come through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus the one who makes dead things come alive, 
the one who conquered sin and death so that we could live. Ephesians 2 verse 1 says this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath. Amen. What does that mean? I'm with you. (laughs) We're going to get there. Hang in there, young man. Hang in there. This is the build-up. This is a sermon technique. You got to build it up. You got to hang in there. It's the resolution's coming. There's going to be some clarity coming. Okay. Verse four. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it's by grace you've been saved. Jesus makes us alive. We say this often around here because it is true. You were not a bad person when you got saved. You were a dead person. You were not bad. You were dead. The salvation is a resurrection of our souls. We were dead in our transgression and sin. This is why the works of our hands have no standing or bearing in our status with God. You can be a moral person and be a walking dead person. This is where a lot of people get confused in our culture. They're such a nice person. Nice has nothing to do with it. Morality is a fruit of salvation. It is not evidence of it. When we are saved, we begin to act different, but just because you are kind does not mean that you are saved. Morality will not raise you from the dead. Morality will not raise you from the dead. That only comes through the gift of God that is salvation. When our souls are brought back to life, Ephesians 2 verse 8, for it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. We were blind and now we see, we were dead and now we're alive. That is what walking with God is. We, We walk with him and as we do, we are transformed by him. But transformation is very messy. It's harder than it sounds. Yeah, I've been walking with God since I was about 15 years old. I had a real encounter with God. That's why I get so fired up. For those of you who don't know, at our United Night just last week, man, the Holy Spirit blew up kids on their faces, hearing God, worshiping Jesus. And that's just like, that's where it started for me. It's like God got a hold of me, man. I was still a mess. I still was an arrogant, bad decision-making, immature person, but my heart really wanted God. 
I, I, I desired him. I, I had tasted and seen that he was good. And, and once you taste him, nothing else is as sweet. I haven't tried to sin. I was a horrible sinner. I wasn't any good at it. In college, I found a group of friends, and we were all like-hearted. We, we wanted God, and we, man, we just had so many memories of just seeking heaven together and learning how to fast and learning how to share the gospel and learning how to walk in community and learning how to be accountable and, you know, just all the things. And just look back at those times with nothing but fond memories. But a few years ago, it felt like an earthquake shook my friend group from college. Went through a season where it felt like almost weekly, I was hearing about somebody leaving their wife, so-and-so committing adultery, so-and-so getting caught in fraud, so-and-so leaving their faith, so-and-so leaving the church. And it was disorienting because these were not people that were over here for me. These were people that were right here for me. They, I was there in the room, man. We were loving Jesus together. I saw God touch them. I saw God move in their life, and I'm looking back saying, wow, God, you were so good, and I'm connecting with a few of them, and now they're looking back saying, man, wasn't that horrible? And I'm like, whoa, the memories that I see as fond, you see as scarring. What is happening? Like, like what, what, what is going on? It felt like the ground was shaking underneath my feet. And, uh, you know, I, I hate talking about COVID, mostly because my personality is I hate excuses. It's like my, kind of my one rule in my house. My kids make excuses. I'm like, <laughs> nah, it's, it's ownership or nothing, dude. You know, don't tell me, don't give me some runaround. It's like you either did or you didn't. That's it. You know, why didn't you do well? Well, so, no, no, you didn't work hard. That's why you didn't do well. Ownership or nothing. That's like just my bend. And Liz has softened me up a little bit, thankfully. <laughs> but but I, I hate talking about COVID and kind of feel like we're rehashing. But I, I have made an observation that I think is important for us to see as a church. And what... COVID did, I think, uh, was it, it was an acceleration nationwide of a deconstruction of everything. And um, that can mean a lot of things. But there's just this overarching, let's just take down and break down and rip apart everything that we have experienced or believed in our lives. And um, uh, we, we come to points like this in our life. And it was just interesting that it seemed like we collectively came to it. 
There's always seasons where I like to say what you have been doing isn't working the way that it used to work. The way you have been connecting with God, it doesn't feel like you're connecting with him anymore. The, the way you had found friends, you're not finding them anymore. The, the group that you had been connecting with doesn't feel like family anymore. There's this disorientation that happens where we go through these different seasons in life. The process is not new. It's a process that's been going on as long as there's been people in the earth. The uniqueness is that it seemed like we hit it as a nation. A lot of times we hit it and we call it a midlife crisis, right? We, we hit it, we call it like kind of uh, a, a hitting the wall in our faith. You feel like you're, you're, you're running with God and you're encountering him and then all of a sudden you just like feels like everything stops. And it can be disorienting. And in this disorientation, we begin to question everything that we used to do, everything that we used to believe, and everyone that we did it with. Maybe it was the isolation. Maybe it was social media. Um, I don't know. But what I do know is it felt like there was gas being poured on that fire Then you also throw another fire in the mix, which was our society's rapid acceleration towards individualism. And I'm not a sociologist, but I've read a couple. Ultimately, very simply, it's me over everything. You boil it down, that's what it is. It's me over everyone, it's me over everything, and so conversations started including the phrase, my truth. Have you heard that? Oh, this is my truth. I'm like, oh, is it? That is really interesting. We're now calling opinion truth. Because your opinion has to be the truth because it's you over everything. Individualism is not happening out there. It's happening everywhere. It's in all of us. So we start hearing these things like my truth. And individual, individualism preaches that other people and institutions are a threat and an enemy to who I am. That's the gospel of individualism. So the best thing for me is to focus on me. That's where I'm gonna find fulfillment and joy and peace and the pain I'm experiencing and the disorientation I'm experiencing is because I haven't prioritized me. So now I'm gonna prioritize me and the chaos that I'm experiencing and this disorientation that I'm experiencing is gonna go away because it's gonna be my truth now that's gonna govern my life because everyone around me and everything that I'm a part of is a threat actually to me. That's why I feel the way that I feel. I want you to hear this is opposite to the kingdom of heaven. The gospel calls us to be selfless, not selfish. We're to love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love our neighbor as ourself. We're called to be selfless. Lists. And this is why I believe, in part, across the nation, there's been a mass exodus from church. The average church in America is 60% of what it was before the pandemic. 
I had a meeting with the mayor just this week at a huge church here in Austin, and they had put pipe and drape up around their entire auditorium, just leaving 300 seats, because that's how many people had left. Now, I'm not saying that everybody who has stopped going to church has left their faith. I don't know if that's what it means, but it does mean something. One of the things that I think it's showing us is that we collectively hit a wall in our faith and all of a sudden what we had been doing wasn't producing what it was producing in us before and our desire for God went down. Our desire for the people of God went down and a lot of questions seemed to come up. And look, maybe you're here And you're feeling that way right now. You feel like you've hit the wall. You feel like the rhythm of your pursuit of God that you've been living in and thriving in just isn't doing what it did. And you're wondering, did God leave me? Don't be scared of that question. Did God leave me? Here's here's a big one. Was he ever really there? Those questions can get so loud and disorienting And here we, how we answer those questions will either take us into maturity or lead us into captivity. And as I've just been praying and saying like, okay, God, what are you doing? What is happening? Because here I have a deep held belief because I read the Bible, this is my truth, that God wins. God wins. 100% of the time, not some of the time, 100% of the time. We're actually living in victory right now. He already won. And sometimes we experience challenge, and that challenge, sometimes we call it in the church is like a season of desolation, right? Your soul feels desolate. It's like God has left you for a season. And, and, and sometimes when that happens, it's because of sin in our life. And sometimes it happens because God loves you so much that he's doing something in you even though you can't feel him. God has not left you. He's doing something in you. This is why James tells us in James 1 verse 2, consider it pure joy. Pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God's doing something. He hasn't left you. He's doing something in you, something that has been an interesting thing to observe is that God is beginning to breathe on college campuses in a very beautiful and unique way. And there's like this beginnings of what I've prayed for since I was a college student of a new Jesus movement where By the thousands, young people are getting set on fire by the love and the grace of God. 
And it's like all this is happening in the middle of this disorientation. And it was a head scratcher for me. I'm like, man, so interesting. And I was like, Lord, would you, would you give me some insight? And God spoke to me very clearly, and he said this. He said that we are in the valley of dry bones as a nation. We're in the valley of dry bones as a nation, and he is beginning to breathe on us. And if you're not familiar with that phrase, it comes out of Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel was a prophet of God in the Old Testament. Maybe his famous, most famous prophecy of all time is when God carried him up and placed him in the spirit in a valley of dry bones. And that was a picture of the state of the people of God. The people of God had turned their hearts from the Lord They had stepped out of the covering of obedience and they were being overrun by the Babylonians. They were being taken over and they're beginning to ask the question, did our God just get beaten by their God? Wait, I thought our God was in control. It sure looks like their God is in control. And it says in Ezekiel 37, verse 11, that they described themselves as being those whose bones are dried up and their hope is gone. We don't have to dig too far to see the connection of where they were and where we are. Every institution, everything, everyone that they trusted in had been turned upside down, been set on fire. Things they thought were unmovable began to shake. Places they thought were actually going to be undefeated were defeated. And their souls were dried up and their hope was gone. That picture, what Ezekiel was seeing was the state of the faith, state of the heart of the people of God. There was a valley of dry bones. Something that the pandemic did, regardless of how you feel about it or who you said started it or if we should have even cared about it, what it did was it ushered in a spirit of fear and death over our nation. There was a collective fear that overtook all of us and has affected all of us. And God asked Ezekiel as he's looking at these bones, he says, Ezekiel, can these bones live? The answer is no. (laughs) No, they can't. Just like if you're standing at Lazarus' tomb, And Jesus looked at you and said, you think he's going to come out? No, I don't. He's dead, super dead, stinky dead. I I don't think he's coming out. The right answer was no, these bones can't live. They're brittle, they're dry. They're crumbling. There's no life even close to them but God. But God was there, so Ezekiel did not answer with his mind. He answered with his faith. And he said, I don't know. What do you think? He says, you, O sovereign Lord, alone 
No. And then God said, I want you to prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I'll put breath in you and you will come to life and then you will know that I am the Lord. Verse 11, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people I'm going to open up your graves. Do you hear that? I'm going to open up your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. What he does is he brings transformation. And I know it's been a disorienting season. I know that it's been difficult. I know that your life maybe looks like the valley of dry bones. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you lost loved ones. Maybe everything blew up that you were believing in and hoping in in front of you. And your life is disorienting. Maybe your disorientation didn't happen out here. Maybe your disorientation happened in here. And you're like, did God leave me? Man, I used to feel like I really connected with God. And now it feels like I don't know how to connect with God. And you're toying with the question, was God ever really there? No. Don't let the season of desolation take you into captivity. Let it take you into maturity. And how we do that is we just keep coming. You just keep coming. And man, if I have any desire for our church and the church in America is to wake the freak up, man. We were lulled to sleep for three years. And the giants of our culture were shouting and saying, your God is dead. But we got to keep coming because the breath is coming. And it doesn't matter how dead we feel. It doesn't matter how dry we feel. When the breath from heaven begins to blow, air comes into your lungs. Tendons begin to form. Muscle comes back, skin comes back, and then all of the sudden we go from a valley of bones to a vast army because God always wins. God always wins. And so how we want to end is I want you to stand up. If you're here and you feel dry, and you're like, you know what, pastor, like straight up, That's me, man. I don't love the people of God like I used to. I don't feel like I love God like I used to. I don't know how to do that anymore. I'm questioning everything. Some of you guys come to church now every eight weeks, and that's normal. And God's saying, keep coming. Keep coming. Because the breath is here. The breath is in the house, man. The breath is in the house. Yes, he can meet you at home, but the breath is in the house. There's something special about the church. There's something special about the people of God coming together. And that's the thing I want to miss the most. Because there's nothing like it. 
There's nothing like it. And so if your heart is heavy or dry, or if you're hungry, I don't want you to stay in your seat. I want you to respond. I want you to come up here because the breath is up here. Just begin to make your way up to the front, man. If you're like, dude, I'm dry. I need, I need the breath of heaven. I need it to come and breathe on me right now. Because we're gonna, we, here's what's going to happen. God's going to show up. God's going to show up. God's here not to shame you, to breathe on you. Not, not to say like, oh, you shouldn't be dry. No, the breath is here. God didn't bring Ezekiel up there and then say, look at this trash, man. They gave up on me. And that's not what he said. He said, you know what? You think these guys can live? Because I know they can. I know they can live. So God, we invite you. We invite you, God, breathe on us. Lord, we repent for every way that we've allowed individualism to shape our view of what church is, what it means to walk with you. And Lord, we say that we come together as a community and say we need the breath of heaven. We want our hearts to come alive. We want the death to be blown out of us by the wind of heaven. We want the resurrection and the life to come and to birth something in us that's going to be unshakable and unmovable, that it doesn't matter what pandemic or what fear or what threat or what culture saying. Lord, you are the resurrection and the life. You have won and you will win. And so, Lord, come and breathe. Breathe. Breathe on us.